Welcome to Unboxy World, the podcast where philosophy meets tech. In each episode, we're connecting the dots between philosophy, technology, society, science, and progressive thought. And together with brilliant minds across the world who dare to challenge the way we think and live in today's society, we are unboxing our minds one episode at a time. I am Ria Salting. I am a tech professional during the day and a philosopher at night. And if you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter to never miss the latest unboxed episode. So let's get started. Let's unbox ourselves. a simple way to explain why people can have such different worldviews. What if there was a simple way to understand why some countries care more about solving climate change than others do? What if there was an easy way to understand polarization and create a win-win-win to instead unite people? Now, Spiral Dynamics offers a simple framework to understand human development and how humanity's values change over time and how they are expressed in different sequential stages. This model can be applied both at an individual level and on a cultural level. And in the model, each stage has its own pros and cons. And Spiral dynamics offer a way to understand and honor how people can have varying opinions on reality. Thanks to this tool, we can then create a win-win-win situation to, in fact, unite people instead of fueling polarization. Now, this is what Nomali Pereira does professionally as an executive coach and a facilitator where she is applying the theory of spiral dynamics and other development tools to help teams and individuals to perform at their highest capability. Now, in this episode, although Nomali specifically presents the stages in a very simple way, the actual study of spiral dynamics is complex and does take time. So with everything else, spiral dynamics is in fact a tool and should be treated as such. So it should be used wisely and most importantly with humility. Now let's get started and tune into the show today to learn more about spiral dynamics. Hello, Namali Pereira. Welcome to Unboxy World. Super happy to have you here. <laughs> well, thank you, Maria. Thank you for welcoming me into your show. And I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, like Likewise, it's um, I um, so we're gonna talk about today something called spiral dynamics, and and that is actually um, how I found it was um, I was at a um, at a conference about um, regenerative finance, so how you can um, well rethink the fin- a future financial system in a way that is more in tune with um. The environment as well and uh, someone just like oh have you heard of spiral dynamics and then i thought that was a beautiful way to um kind of explain 
the dynamics um, in the world, why some people, for example, care about uh, the climate and, and while some nations do not the same way. So that's why I wanted to find someone who could talk about spiral dynamics. And that's what you do <laughs> professionally. <laughs> so um, just to start off, uh, would you like to explain the concept of spiral dynamics and uh, yeah, what it is and how it can be used and the different yeah. stages? <laughs> Sure. So I'll give a little bit of information about it. If I'm talking too much about the sort of the context to spiral dynamics, you can always jump in and, and uh, stop me. Um, but yeah, very simply put, spiral dynamics is a theory or a model that is attempting to show the different value systems and the worldviews through which individuals, but also organizations or societies could be evolving. So um it's a it's a human development model, I would say, you know, and it's specifically looking at uh, looking at values. How how do we grow uh, through our values, and how all of us um, through these different stages have different value systems, and that causes us to develop or have different worldviews. We're looking at the world through different lenses. Uh, lenses. So that's what it's what it's really looking at. Um, you know, I think as we speak about stages of development, it's always really helpful to look look at the idea of lines of development. As um, so, for example, there is a, a philosopher called Ken Wilber, and I'm actually very much more in the sort of the meta theory world in which it has room for stages of development, um, and. Ken Wilber speaks about different lines of development or, for example, the um, Howard Gardner, I believe, is one of the one of the theories who introduced the idea that we evolve in different areas of development. It's not just that we just develop and evolve and grow in one way. Um, and so, for example, the French uh, researcher uh, Jean Piaget research the idea of cognitive development, asking this question of what am I aware of? Um, and then several people like Suzanne Kugreuter, Jane Lovinger, um, Eric Erickson, they research the idea of ego development or self-development. And then in, in this idea of as an individual, what am I, you know, who am I? Who am I? Um, Daniel Goleman is a researcher that looked at the idea of emotional development, emotional intelligence development, and he would research around the question of how do I feel about this? Um, James Fowler is a researcher who looked at uh, what is spiritual development? How, what am I sort of, what is of ultimate concern? So in that way, different people have different researchers, theories have looked at different areas of development. Um, Abraham Maslow, the famous hierarchy of needs, right? Uh, uh, Kohlberg looked at moral development. What, what should I do? What's the right thing to do? And in that way, what a gentleman by the name of Claire Graves, who was a student and a professor of Union College in New York in the U.S., what he was looking at was what is significant to me? Um, and this kind of ended up being the area of values. What do I value? And he um, 
he was a student at a place called Union College during the Second World War. And a lot of the teachers in his university were actually going off to the war. And so what the what the college did was that they would bring in, because they didn't have one teacher to teach psychology, they would the, the school would uh, bring in different teachers to offer different teachings. And um, he himself would later encounter the question, which is, well, what is the right theory then of who is a mature psychological, psychologically mature human being? And so when he was a professor, he actually started to give that question, offer that question to his students. And his students were a broad range of ages, a broad range of, you know, both genders, um, and also a lot of people of different ages who were now returning from the war. And he would ask this question of who do you think is a mature psychological, psychologically mature human being? And he didn't know what answers he would receive from that. And so the history of spiral dynamics really begins with him posing this question to his students. And from what I have heard, that almost throughout a period of about 12 years, he did this research, um, mm -hmm. having people answer this question. And I don't want to get too much into his research methodologies, but um, he didn't have a predetermined answer to that. So that was that is what's really cool in the sense that he was also learning from what his students were responding uh, to this question. Eventually, what happened was that he started to sort of, you know, create different categories, different piles of papers, for example, that these students were writing, and they he started noticing patterns um, that different students were responding, and then he was able to categorize them. And he saw very first of all, something that he saw was that some people were expressing this answer to who do I think a, mature, a psychologically mature human being is, is that they were expressing their self, expressing self, and then others that were sort of sacrificing self. And he saw that every category was going from expressing self to sacrifice self, but it would it would you know go from I want to express myself regardless of what others have to say, but then there were a little bit more complexity that was added to that in the sense of I want to express myself, but not at the expense of what others have to say. So he would see that there was a little bit more complexity, and uh, that was driven into this uh, idea of expressing oneself. In the same way, similarly, in how some people would sacrifice themselves, it would be that I would sacrifice myself no matter what, but others would say I would sacrifice my views um, to include others' views in such a way, but also be able to honor and value my own views. That's what um, perhaps a mature psychological human being would do. So he would, he would begin to see these different um, ways in which what he then eventually would say is that our values are being expressed in these different ways. And starting from a more kind of a, an earlier level of development, which could be a little bit more egocentric, for example, we develop through a sequence of stages um, that ends up becoming more and more complex, 
more and more allowing and eventually more and more allowing of the entire uh, spiral of development. So he actually called it the emergent cyclical theory. It, he didn't call it spiral dynamics. Okay. Spiral dynamics is a term that the emergent cyclical theory was was uh, given by people like Don Beck and Christopher Cohen, who were his students who actually continued his work, um, further developed his work after he died in 1986. So, and right now, um, Dr. Don Beck, who did a, whose work I'm very familiar with, and I've been, you know, I trained under him as well, took many of his trainings. Now he's dead mm-hmm. as well. Um, but so that's just a little bit of how uh, this human development model, model of exploring values and the fact that they are developing through sequential stages, um, that's what is called spiral dynamics. Hmm. So spiral dynamics is basically a model to understand human development, right? Um, and yet you have to go through these different stages, but you cannot skip one, right? Uh, you have to um, go through all of them. So what are those um, What are those stages? Where does it start and where does it end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, typically these kinds of conversations about these stages have to be done very carefully and very thoughtfully mm-hmm. because they mm-hmm. are complex. Um, and I want to just um, say also that typically you'd need like, you know, 50 hours at the minimum to really <laughs> understand yeah. the nuances of each stage. And sometimes when we don't take time to understand them with their nuances, it can also be dangerous because people can really misuse these kinds mm-hmm. of ideas and use them in very um, manipulative ways if you're mm-hmm. not aware. So I want to say that uh, right mm-hmm. off the off the bat. Um, but that said, I think just to give a very simple, quick, ex- quick idea of the of the stages, I would say that we all begin um, sort of humanity in a way begins at the stage of what is referred to as beige or the archaic stage. Um, so very, you know, super quickly, beige is kind of it's 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 like where we all begin and where we all end um it's the stage at which basic survival is of most importance it's about food it's about um uh, water and warmth and sex and sort of living off basic safety Mm -hmm. um this is where if you think of sort of the primordial or sort of the primitive brain where we respond with sort of that flight Uh, fight, freeze kind of responses. That's where beige really responds to the world as. There's no distinct sense of a self at beige. Um, You're sort of living off the land, almost like animals in a sense, you know. And that's where it primarily begins. And it has a sort of an age range of, some would say that, you know, as humanity begins, beige this archaic stage has uh, has been around for 25, 250,000 years. So it's a very old and very um, sort of an established stage of development. Mm-hmm. Um, where we find it now is that, you know, you'd actually find it in newborn infants. Um, 
as well as the sort of the senile um, elderly, when we lose consciousness, um, we don't have a sense of self. That's a sort of th this archaic stage. And by the way, I also just want to mention, I'll be using these colors. Claire Graves didn't give his stages, his emergent cyclical theory, any colors. It's Don Beck and Christopher Cohen that really gave colors to these stages, only really to make it simpler to communicate. Yeah. Uh, the colors don't really have any meaning in and of itself. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, you can also see um, the stage beige, like if a bomb exploded right outside my house, I'm going to go right down to beige. Yeah. All I'm really going to want to do is to like save myself. I'm not yeah. going to be having any philosophical thoughts and, you know, an analysis about why did this bomb explode? You know, so it's energetically we all will fall into this um, beige stage and rightfully we have to mm. sometimes in order to to create survival uh, so i guess anyway, it would be dangerous even if that didn't happen <laughs> exactly exactly yep. and that's what you're saying there is really another lesson to remember about spiral dynamics or any stage theory really is that these early stages of development have incredible gifts to offer And the wrong way of understanding stages of development is this idea that we denigrate or that we uh, diminish the value of these early stages. They're incredibly mm -hmm. valuable and we need to be able to, in a healthy way, integrate the gifts of the early stages. Um, otherwise, they, they remain in what's called shadow, like the Carl Jungian idea of shadow. Mm -hmm. So beige, you you know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like there are there are people who are in war zones right now as we speak. Yeah, you know, Russia, Ukraine, for example, but lots of other places in in this world where there's a lot of struggle, and in those um in those kinds of zones, um, but also like people who are in addiction. In, you know, in the Western world or anywhere, people who are in an addicted state of mind are perhaps really, uh, you know, walking the streets of Vancouver in British Columbia or San Francisco, mm -hmm. looking for that next fix. Um, that's a very kind of a stas, sort of the very desperate state of beige that we can find ourselves in. And typically... The way that stages develop, how one would go from one stage to another is not known entirely why we evolve through these stages. Mm. Some would say, though, that we come to a crisis, like we hit a wall. That stage doesn't fulfill our needs anymore. And so in that way, you can imagine the hunter-gatherer stage is very individual in a sense, or you're just kind of looking out for yourself. Mm -hmm. You learn that actually if I band together with a few others, I might be safer. And that idea that I might actually find more security and that idea leads perhaps to the next stage, which is the purple stage. And that could be called the, the magical or even the use of the word tribal used carefully Uh, is the purple stage where uh, I'm not alone anymore. I actually have a small group or a small clan or a small tribe to which I belong, and I'm more secure here. And at this stage, which one would say really began roughly around 50,000 years ago, is where we feel that life is really deeply connected to the earth and nature, and the mm -hmm. earth is sacred. 
we experience the word as sort of the world as enchanted. Um, there's, there's an enchantment of spirit and sort of sacred objects and rituals and rites of passage. There's, there's still no strong sense of self yet. In other words, the ego hasn't really developed yet at this stage. And there are, you know, there's a deep respect in a, in a tribe for ancestral wisdom, for example, indigenous wisdom, um, lineage is very important at this stage it's it's this at this stage it's very self-sacrificing you don't have a sense of self very much and you sacrifice your sense of individuality to the well-being of the group it's very very sort of tribe or clan focused um in fact in human civilization the future stages that are yet to emerge will eventually be very cruel to this stage with, with things like colonization that will come through later stages. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this stage is highly abused. You can see that in the way in, for example, in Canada, there is a lot of, um, lot of controversy around how colonizers really abused and exploited the native populations of that country hundreds of years ago. Um, so this isn't necessarily, or less than hundreds of years ago even, this isn't necessarily to say that indigenous populations today are purple. Purple is really mostly uncontacted tribes that you can find in many parts of the world, in African, um, uh, uh, in African tribes perhaps, in the Amazon, in sort of in um, Native American uh, spaces, there's a lot of beautiful connection to that and really honoring the sacredness of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in children, you know, this is where, like, I remember when I was a child, if my dad was driving the car and I would look outside and I'd see the moon and the moon, and I would feel like the moon is following me, is following me. Oh, we're driving somewhere and the moon is like coming with us. That's how the little childhood mind uh, has. <laughs> magical way of responding to the world if like a child if they put on a superman cape the child feels like oh now i'm superman you know so that beautiful uh, magical belief system um is in this purple stage and again at some point i think some members of a purple tribe for example you could just imagine maybe some of those members would feel like i'm kind of tired of this little smallness of our life there's a whole world out there perhaps where i matter like i don't want to be so merged in the in this little community i'm bigger than that and that's really the emergence of the next stage which is the red stage and this is the first sense of an identity forming, a first sense of a, uh, an ego forming. So in sort of human life, it begins around uh, age two, in like little two-year-old kids that begin to throw a tantrum because they feel like, hey, I, okay. <laughs> I'm powerful here. Like, I, you know, I'm not merged at the hip uh, uh, with my mother and father here, you know, like, so I have my toys and I need that food or, you know, and that's really a beautiful stage where the human ego is really coming alive. And civilization begins to show signs of this probably around 15 to 20,000 years ago, Mm -hmm. where individuals are becoming powerful. I'm not a part of 
the tribe anymore. I'm separate from the tribe. I have my own views. Um, and typically it emerges as a sort of a confidence in oneself. And it's advocating strongly for what you want. It's powerful. It's impulsive. It's it's very egocentric. This is a very ego, self-focused, ego-focused stage. Again, not that it's bad. For this stage, it's good that one can look out for oneself. Um, through civilization, you can see sort of the sort of the Romans kind of conquering, mm-hmm. um, dominating, intimidating. It demands obedience. Uh, and it demands labor. And so that's where actually colonization could begin. You want to sort of expand how far you can go and how much you can um, uh, power over. It's a, sort of the basis for feudal empires, power and glory. Um, it's self-indulgent without any shame or guilt. You know, you want instant gratification. So this is the red stage, and you can see that today in sort of rebellious youth, feudal kingdoms, in war situations, in even sort of in the new kind of cancel culture. You know, mm-hmm. in in the old times, red would just put a gun to your head or, you know, pull out a sword and chop your head off and cancel you in that way. But in these sort of current postmodern times, you, you, you know, you'll be canceled. And if you say the wrong thing or, you know, and so that's a new form of cancellation, which is a sort of a red way of behaving in the world. You see that in sort of um, this world of sort of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's a very indulgent world. It's delicious. Uh, It's very sexual, sexually alive and things like that. But it can also be that sense of egocentric nature of it is eventually giving rise to the next stage, which kind of comes out of each new stage, arrives with some emergent new properties to kind of civilize the madness of the previous stage or the inadequacies mm-hmm. of the previous stage. So the blue stage comes mm-hmm. next um, as a very sort of a conservative, re- religious, very orderly state that comes to discipline uh, and civilize the red stage, which can, you know, left to its own devices, can become very aggressive and sort of leave a trail of blood and dead bodies. Um, so the blue stra- stage is referred to as the traditional stage. It's also very group-centric. So instead of egocentric, it's group-centric, um, which can also be called as ethnocentric. Um, there's a powerful sense of family and community. It's very uh, focusing on discipline and order. Life has meaning and purpose and with outcomes that are determined sometimes by an almighty God or It's a lot of sort of belief in a higher authority. That sense of the ego is controlled uh, by a higher authority. So I am sacrificing myself. Red is expressing self. Blue is sacrificing self. And it can also be feel, you know, very rigid. And it has a lot of moral codes of right and wrong. And if you sort of, you're rewarded for following the rules and you're punished for breaking the rules, Mm -hmm. strong sense of social hierarchy, very sort of paternalistic um, impulsivity of red is controlled through guilt, punishment in that way. 
that group focus is good, but the pathology of it is that if you extend it too far, then you begin to believe at blue that only my kind is good. All other so if if I'm a if I'm a Christian, then only Christians are good, and all other religions are bad, or they're traitors, um, or you know only my my community or my uh, school is good. So you see these kind mm-hmm. of a lot of me and othering or us versus them that happens a lot at this. And this is a very, very, very highly uh, established old stage of development. Um, 5,000 years ago, like with the Renaissance, for example, from, from a civilization hist- historical perspective, where really sort of belief systems are strong. It's like if you should believe me if I say so, because I'm I'm more of an authority than you are. Or you mm. should believe God because the Bible says so. That kind of idea. Um, <clears throat> it's more subjective. This belief systems are more subjective. There isn't a lot of objectivity in this stage. You can see that today uh, in social conservatism, in sort of codes of honor, um, religious fundamentalism, you know, religiosity isn't necessarily bad, but when it becomes fundamentalist, that's where the problems begin. You can see this in colonialism in sort of, you know, like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, where you're really taught a lot of rules and um, the moral majority, uh, patriotism. Um, So, Again, I think, at least in the United States, it's believed that about 30% of the population are at this blue stage. And the blue stage also hits a wall. And that's how the next stage, the orange stage, comes through, is really from when, you know, three, four hundred years ago, especially in Europe, when the, the sort of the scientists are emerging, the world is not flat. The world is round. And for being, you know, brave to make such propositions meant that you could be killed uh, historically to make this sort of the, yeah. the emergence of science, right? Um, and so Orange comes up and, of course, people like Rene Descartes begins to really claim that separation of mind and body. And so everything becomes a little bit more objectivist here. And the subjective world of the previous stages are put to, put to the test here. So the self is now escaping from what could become like a herd mentality of blue, that strict conformity doesn't work anymore for orange. Orange wants to now become more self-expressive. Enough of sort of me sacrificing myself for the group now once again just like red and orange um (laughs) we're seeking truth in objective more rational scientific terms pragmatic experimental i'm willing to take risks um the world is a sort of a well-oiled machine like rene descartes would have said it's got its natural law laws that can be learned and mastered and manipulated (laughs) highly achievement oriented Um, It's the world of numbers, big data, big data, you know, rules the world. Um, So, again, nothing wrong. I mean, it's what gave us technology. It's what gives us medicine, uh, the advancements of the medicine today, which we all need. Um, It's very um, 
It's like the marketplace alliances. It, it, and so there's nothing wrong with it until it becomes very manipulative and exploitative. Mm. So it'll destroy the environment. And this is what has really, you know, given mm. us problems of, of climate and climate change and all that. So you can see the ideas of, of this scientific orange stage, which is world centric instead of ethnocentric, it's becoming more world centric. It's actually able to have a more complex view uh, and include more beyond ethnocentric and beyond egocentric. It's you'll see this in the stock exchange and the venture capitalist startup um, world, Silicon Valley, and anywhere really, not mm-hmm. just Silicon Valley, but that that sort of world that is um, incredibly exciting in many ways. It's emerging middle classes around the world, big data, the fashion world, the cosmetics mm-hmm. industry, the agri business, factory farming, uh, which has no sensitivity. That's what's happening is that orange left to its own devices. It's so capitalistic. It's so exploitative eventually that it loses that sense of romance and sensitivity and emotions and mm. the subjective world. And so that's what's eventually. And and the this scientific rationalistic worldview has been around for about three or 400 years, really. And then out of the struggles of that is as the green worldview, the postmodern worldview, mm. which again is about 30% of the United States. You know, these are just very sort of general numbers. Um, there's about 30% of blue, 30% of orange, and about 30% of green. And the green worldview comes out of the very disruptive, destructive um, yeah exploitation of orange and so it's all of a sudden now saying hold on wait a minute the objective world of orange tells us that sort of matter the world of matter and this objectivist world the propositional world of orange is what's true everything else is like bullshit you know and (laughs) green emerges to say now wait a minute you can't dictate to us what truth is and that this objective world materialistic atomistic world is the only truth Uh uh-uh no Mm. green is there's a whole world of subjective realities and and intersubjective realities of culture that can actually determine what truth is we're all we can all decide what truth is for us so it's good for a while until that too runs into trouble. But green in general is very commu- commu- um, communitarian. It's very egalitarian. It it really um, uh, values feelings and sort of the heart space and sort of feelings supersede the cold rationality of orange. Uh, it's deeply aware of ecological issues. Um, it's deeply... Uh, seeking sustainability and regeneration. And the human spirit has to be freed from the dogma of blue and mm-hmm. the green orange, right? Um, and f- there's a lot of emphasis on relationships, diversity, uh, equity, inclusion, those kinds of topics, because it really sort of sees how much the hierarchical systems and sort of winner-take-all kind of ways of being in the previous stages have harmed humanity and societies. So 
you know, it's really paying attention to diversity, uh, DEI, diversity, equity, in inclusion efforts. And the biggest performative contradiction of green, unfortunately, is that it has a hatred <laughs> for hierarchies. And unfortunately, it fails to see that there are dominator hierarchies and there are growth hierarchies, natural hierarchies. Dominator hierarchies are what sort of blue and orange and red are functioning in. And But there are natural hierarchies of just the world as it evolves. Um, just like, you know, the way organisms comes into being out of like, atoms and cells and atoms and molecules and mm -hmm. cells. Mm -hmm. That's a very simple natural hierarchy. So there's a very strong performative contradiction that happens at Green, which is to say that they like nonlinear thinking, they like non-hierarchical being, which is good, but then, then Green, unfortunately, can become a little aggressive and arrogant in that belief, and imposes its own value system of non-hierarchy on the rest of the world. But that imposition in itself is actually a valuing that they think is better, which in itself is actually a hierarchy. That my way of thinking that hierarchies are wrong yeah. is actually something a parody. that yeah. is yeah. very <laughs> paradoxical. And oh. it's, it's an irony that Green mm. somehow misses the point about that. So... Green, you know, it, it's it's it it values decision making through consensus, except that consensus is never really found. So, it, like meetings can go on and on and on because you're trying to include everybody's voices as equal, and while that's good, it becomes very disruptive to you know strategy and just really moving forward. Uh, it. Um, it, this is also sacrificing self stage. Orange is expressing self and green is sacrificing self. We see this green everywhere in the Western world, especially. And I think even more than in the U.S., where you come from, in sort of Europe yeah. and Scandinavia, green is really, you know, it's. I think it's a healthier form of green, perhaps, in, in the Nordic nations, uh, for example, or Europe in general, perhaps. Um, yeah. Yeah, we have a very yeah. consensus-driven way of uh, making decisions in business, at least in the startup world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the world. You know, the good things about green is it's really valuing in, in our diversity in a certain way. Um, this is where, like, gender pronouns, for example, people starting to wanting to put she, her, hers, or him, or they, and these kind of the different pronouns that are being honored. Um, um and so that's a good thing. The bad thing is that green is very impatient and aggressive if you get it wrong. It'll, mm. So this is where also what is typically referred to as woke politics, for example, come out of this green stage mm. Mm. Um, where there's a sort of a hyper emphasis on political correctness. So while it tries to be really sensitive, it also becomes very... Um, uh, aggressive in a sense it becomes very punishing in a sense so blue mm -hmm. uh, green in some ways has a lot of shadow of red and green uh, i'm sorry red and blue interesting yeah yeah it gave us a lot of good things like civil rights and feminism and um uh you know animal rights and all that kind mm -hmm. of arises out of green um and then i think 
The next stage, which is really the beginning of what is called the second tier, is arising out of the pathologies of this postmodern green stage because of its performative contradictions and its hyperemphasis on um, uh, political correctness and such that's actually beginning to be very polarizing. And so the next stages, which are referred to as integral stages, so yellow and turquoise, yellow as a, the early integral stages, it's really coming out of a need to bring a little bit of sanity to, um, to the kind of the pathologies of all of the previous stages. And this brings up the topic in spiral dynamics of first year and second year. First year stages are beige through green, and the one of the defining characteristics of these first year stages is that none of them recognizes that other stages or value systems exist. So if a green sees blue, it's typically seen as wrong or uh, kind of stupid even. Mm -hmm. There's no way of valuing the gifts of other stages. Um, orange would see green and they would just sort of mock them as tree huggers or, you know, yoga and, you know, latte liberals, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> this, is how, this is how the first year stages tends to see themselves as the only right way of to be. And every other, all others are crazy or stupid or wrong. And the second tier stages, it's told, it's said that it's the first time in human evolution, um, that that consciousness itself is aware of its own development, and it mm -hmm. begins to be able to value the gifts and the struggles of the entire spiral of development, and not just see that um, they're wrong, they're like not enough, or you know. So, first year stages are behaving in a sense of uh, lack and fear. And what's, what's taught about second tier is that we're actually beginning to come more from a place of being and abundance. doesn't mean that our shadow of the entire spiral is gone. Certainly not. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, second tier people have more shadow and struggles because they, they've, they're actually carrying the struggles of all of the other previous stages in their lives. Um, but yeah, this, you know, it's like first year comes from a lot of deficiency and uh, second year comes from a little bit more of a sense of abundance. So I think that's what's important about these levels of development is that we're going through uh, more and more complexity, but with that complexity also comes a certain simplicity of being able to see the world and see ourselves and become more self-aware and hopefully kinder and more compassionate. Yeah. So in the in those last stages, you can more um, um, see the, um, uh, like how these different stages are interacting, right? And how you can more see, understand people more, like why they are um, behaving and reacting in certain ways and do that a little bit more compassionately, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean to go back to the um, what I was saying in the beginning about um, uh, being used to you know how how different countries care more or less about uh, trying to solve the global um, climate crisis. 
I think mm. for I think the discussion that I was having there at the the conference, um, I mean, it just it just makes sense that I mean, I, I come from a very um, privileged country, but we've had a lot of good development, and we have a lot of people caring about the relatively. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot of people caring about uh, actually trying to solve them. Yeah. So the climate crisis in Sweden, um, but we also um, we are a privileged country. We have had we've gone through all these uh, development stages, and we have very high standards. So why would we expect people that are becoming industrialized to just jump to straight to to think about climate when they're also trying to get up to speed with standards? So I think from maybe the dis- Maybe it could be argued then that in, in, in our development, our more developed countries, that our job is to actually make the technology or the solutions just simple enough so that it's easy to just do the right thing. Um, and it's our yeah. job not, not to tell people to care about the climate, but actually make it so simple that, um, that it's, yeah. just, it's just better for them to do what's climate friendly. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of a sort of a strategy that where I live in, in the Mm. U.S., which is called Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado is one of the greenest, uh, and greenest in the Mm. sense of of spiral Mm. dynamics, green, but also Mm. like ecologically aware. Sense that, you know, it used to be that there was a recycling program throughout the country Mm. where you're supposed to separate your recycling, for example. Mm. And Boulder, Colorado is one of the first states where let's make it easier for people to recycle Mm -hmm. by having a single stream recycle process. So paper, glass, don't worry, we'll do the sorting. Mm, You just will give you the right, uh, you will give you a bin and you can just drop all of your paper and glass and plastics all into one bin. So let's make it easier for people. That's a sort of a very nice strategic uh, example, you know, and now over here, composting is also required. And so mm-hmm. we're given a recycling bin as well as a compost bin. So mm-hmm. it's it's sort of, you know, not that recycling alone is going to help you know climate change but it's it's teaching people to to take action that is better for the for the earth so a lot of people are composting here and again it's not that you have to compost in your own backyard or something we have a compost bin so whatever belongs and a lot of trash is compostable Mm -hmm. so there's less landfill and more um and that's another thing instead of calling it trash Mm-hmm. Here we call it landfill, and that oh. word makes you think, "Oh, this is not." I mean, it's mm. we're, we're throwing this into the landfill means we're actually filling the land with this mm. garbage here. So it changes the the mindset. Mm. Um, I didn't get. I I know mm. I took a little time. I took mm-hmm. a lot of time there to explain, <laughs> you know, explain a little bit of all those other stages. I didn't say much about yellow. So perhaps mm. I don't know if you. To describe the yellow stage a little bit, uh, characteristics um, of yellow was the the second last stage, right? Yellow is the mm. first stage that emerges after green as the first mm. of the second tier stages. So, you know, it it's most importantly, yellow begins to see the process of development itself. It begins to see that we're developing, the world is okay. developing. 
everybody's evolving. And so it begins to see that each previous stage, beige through green, has and will continue to uh, play a critical role in the evolution of civilization and culture mm-hmm. and self. So mm-hmm. yellow sees that every stage has an important truth mm-hmm. and that we have to honor that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that. Yeah, instead of feeling like everybody has to be more like me, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's sort of suddenly uh, understanding um, that you know because we have evolved through the stages, it also begins to see that there's emergence, that there's more to come, which is humbling. It's like we can actually not get arrogant and think, oh, uh, you know these mm-hmm. people are in second tier and I guess they're at the highest level of development. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, even that is just, uh, you know, hit, like the food of tomorrow. There's more mm-hmm. new stages to emerge, more new things to emerge. So we can, hopefully, we are humbler and yeah. practice more humility as we grow more. And um, it, 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 and it's also what's good about yellow is that, it does more than see everybody's point of view, which is what green tries to do. Yellow can actually see and honor everybody's views, but also be willing to courageously and critically evaluate them. And so make some discriminating, um, discerning new decisions about how we operate technology or or run organizations or run our own lives even. And it begins to see that separation of sort of dominator hierarchies versus natural or growth hierarchies is a really important development in in yellow and it's able to really multiple perspectives is a yep. beautiful term that is used in yellow um if you're talking about sort of you know hegel talked about um synthesis antithesis i'm sorry um thesis antithesis synthesis mm-hmm. hegel's That's dialectic cool. and um, so, you know, imagine if if there is a way in which new technology in these social media platforms and mm-hmm. such, for example, has algorithms that are able to see different people's thesis, antithesis, and can sort of AI, for example, generate a synthesis. So people mm-hmm. begin to see the value of both the thesis and the antithesis. If, if it was able to like use it in the vast kind of the craziness that happened in the U.S. around vaccinations, for example, and mm-hmm. masking and, you know, I think all sides have a truth. And instead of polarizing these views, could there be a new synthesis that is brought, um, that is, you know, offered to us through a yellow stage way of understanding the world? Mm-hmm. Could there be that? Could that be the new way that organizations function, technology functions? Mm. Yeah, which actually leads me to the next uh, topic. I think you know we we talked about um, climate um, solving climate change as one uh, one applicable way or one topic where you could uh, use biodynamics to um, uh, understand. Um, hope, um, but but I think one other topic it's interesting is um, polarization, um, where mm. we're seeing um, where we're seeing. I mean, polarization is obviously um, a result of many different things. Um, however, I do think that um, it's being enhanced by uh, technology. Um, so, for example, I mean, the algorithms know what you read, so they will send you more of what you 
read and then you're there for your your already biased view will just be um enhanced by things you already read about um so that is one example where we're seeing technology in enhancing that like from a spiral dynamics point of view like how could um how could you explain spiral polarization with spiral dynamics and then mm -hmm. if technology has you know enhanced this could also technology then be used to reverse it so like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think first of all well, let me j just talk about, like, let's say, like, polarization, for example, how can spiral dynamics help us see how polarizing views exist? Yeah. Right? yeah. So let's take, for example, a highly polarizing topic of, for example, immigration. Different value systems view immigration in a very different, through a very different value system. Um, green, for example, this kind of very egalitarian perspective might look at immigration as, you know, these are these are people that are coming from oppressed nations and they are experiencing a lot of poverty. And so we must help them. We must be sensitive to their needs and see what we can do to kind of integrate them into our society. And um, so immigration is, you know, a huge topic in North America as well as Europe. Mm -hmm. And so Green views immigration in that egalitarian way in with some certain amount of sensitivity. Orange could look at immigration in more economical terms. For example, like, oh, you know, this could really boost our economy. It could be like cheap labor that can really boost our economy, perhaps, you know. So Orange sees it in a very different way. Blue, the more ethnocentric groups of society, would see um, that immigration is, oh, these people are coming to dilute our culture mm. and destroy our culture even. They don't know how to integrate to our culture. Mm. Blue could see uh, immigration as that which um, infiltrates our nation and our culture and, and it takes our jobs. They're going to come and take our mm. jobs. Mm. You know? So this is how now you can see how green orange and blue has very polarized views yeah. on the single topic of immigration and you can bring it to any other you know highly polarizing issues around around mm. transgender issues for example um blue uh, thinks that's just and you know just 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 a horrible thing that you would think that you can create your own gender or that's not how god created us god created marriage to be between a man and a woman and that's it like anything outside yeah. of that is, is terrible and so so that so these culture wars and most amount of polarization is really between blue orange and green really mostly between blue and green and orange sort of sandwiched in the middle hmm. and um at least in sort of the united states so that's one way that we can use a uh, like the the teachings of something like a stage model like spiral dynamics to start to see what's going on. Hmm. And you know, it, it, you know, I think that technology, what technology then does, typically hmm. with social media and you know these different bubbles, that is that it creates bubbles. 
Yeah, filter bubbles. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like creating these filter bubbles and these echo chambers where it's able to mo- to kind of follow our behaviors online, mm-hmm. and then it's sort of manipulating our behavior to like stay on stay on this page longer. And so yeah. I'll keep feeding you more of what like enrages you to keep you engaged. So it can really drive engagement in all the wrong ways. And I think like there are systems and algorithms that could also see that if you're coming from a blue stage and then saying something like, like, you know, your, your views on uh, conservative views are stupid. Um, And so it'll feed the wrong information just to enrage you and keep you there for longer and longer. And I think that if technology can come more from a, a yellow perspective, it'll do something different. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that can be done necessarily, mm-hmm. but I think that people have been talking for a long time or, about mm-hmm. these kinds of topics in the integral community, in the spiral dynamics mm-hmm. community around what would technology do if it was if it was capable of uh, changing. Oh, I'm so sorry. No worries. Just pause there. I put it on um, airplane mode. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> Anyways, speaking yeah. of technology. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, again, I think it's really important, however, to remember that even something like spiral dynamics is really dangerous in the wrong hands. Yeah. So let's say like, you know, there's a whole bunch of technologists who learn, learn spiral dynamics and then they realize blue really likes this or orange really likes this. Uh, yeah, yeah. So technology is primarily an orange worldview, an orange set of skills. Mm. So it's very good at manipulating all the other stages mm. to make money, basically, right? To make money out of it. So it'll just feed blue, more blue stuff and make money out of that and if it learns that ooh, like green really loves uh you know yoga mats we'll sell them yoga mats and blue really loves bibles let's find a way to sell bibles so it's not challenging uh these systems Mm -hmm. and i I think that's that's what spiral learning spiral spiral dynamics is useful it's is because you know you can actually maybe hopefully if more people learn stage systems like that, you can find also where it's being misused. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to be humble about the the, 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 the approach of using it as well. It's um, <laughs> um yeah. the, sorry. Anyways, um, but. I was I have been having one idea about uh, like how to use technology. Um, um, the question is more like how would it make sense commercially? Um, but like having um, kind of like a, a, a bot that um, pops up and asks you questions. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, like, um, did you know that this article mentions this X amount of time? So did you know that? Um, people, uh, these people have linked to this. So did you know that, um, just ask me smart questions without judgment. Um, yeah. but I have no idea how it would work in practice, but I just had this, um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's, I think, 
you know, I think eventually, eventually, um, the way technology has been used right now is that that it's sort of like the more connections in the sort of the current social media mm-hmm. area, the more connections we have, the better. Like, you know, yeah. and I think that perhaps a yellow stage might at some point inject a, a different idea of perhaps no actually fewer connections let's make our let's let's make our connections more meaningful mm-hmm. um, the current media because it is mostly also coming from that orange and also green worldview green says everybody's welcome like everybody mm-hmm. like we're not going to dictate to you what what is right and wrong and you know you get to be who you are and so it's in sort of in integral, we call it like a perspectival madness because there's no truth. Postmodernity takes away any truth claims. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't say anything is good or bad. So it's like every like it's like the most common denominator belief system. Everything goes. And I think that a state, I think a yellow stage might bring a little bit more discrimination or discernment in a good way where we can be in an intelligent uh, community but also randomize it so that we also get exposure to other stages or yeah. other worldviews um, I like the concept of bubble hopping right can yeah. technology right can technology create bubble hopping for us? Um, that is um yeah that is, that is a good um teaser for <laughs> any developer that's listening to this <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah i've actually heard of i don't know where you know i've heard this while ago a couple years ago even i heard that there was a google engineer who decided to create um create a program for himself where everything was randomized for a whole entire year. Mm-hmm. So he would just like randomly show up at like, you know, like Facebook would show like events that are open mm-hmm. to the public. So he would just like randomly end up in some event that mm-hmm. he wasn't choosing. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going by what Facebook was suggesting mm-hmm. in his feed mm-hmm. his feed was like completely his social media experience in general was completely randomized so he mm-hmm. got to hang out with people he normally wouldn't and just learn a whole lot mm-hmm. uh, so yeah this so i think it's a polarity though i think we need the polarity of randomizing like decentralizing but also centralizing so that we yeah, actually okay. do to deepen our sense of where we belong and feel safe there and also decentralize our experience in such a way that you are challenged to be in circumstances or learn information or you're provided content Mm -hmm. that also challenges you and it's new and unfamiliar to you. Yeah. I like that. It's, um, it's balance and everything, right? (laughs) But I I think, um, um, what we're seeing, I think uh, the role of the editor is also a good example where like now if most people consume news through social media, or at least they see the link there and then they um, scroll further to read more um, at the news outlet, um, then it's like you, the algorithm has become your editor um, for what you will see. But the role of the editor for big magazines is to at least... They're also biased. They're also humans, um, but 
um, at least their role is at least to try to bring in different perspectives and a, and a good um, balance of minorities versus um, um, etc. But but, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is um, it's like um, how do you find that balance again? I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah. Whereas it will never be perfect. <laughs> it it won't be perfect, and nor should it be actually. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I think that the world should always be challenged with struggles. You know, also just sort of speaking in terms of how like Nordic countries are. There's a little bit. There's more of green, perhaps, in Nordic countries, for example. And I think yeah. that's that's good in a sense of there's less sort of fighting, perhaps more uh, sort of you know, uh, gross happiness, for example, but also in some ways it's less diversity. And on the long run, I wonder if places where places like the U S where, or England, even where there is more diversity, like, you know, like I said, 30% blue, 30% orange, 30% green. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think some of the struggles are what creates uh, like the virtual engine, the the sort of the driving to become more, create more optimal mm. fitness mm. through the struggle. Just the struggle of humanity actually causes people to wake up. So there's less mm. sameness isn't necessarily a bad thing. So mm. I think like sometimes things can look really peaceful because, well, there's like everybody's in a green bubble. It's, not, mm. it's okay to some degree. That's what I said. I think the polarity of sort of centralizing effect is good, but we also need the decentralizing. So mm. we need the safety of our own bubble to some degree, but mm. then also mm. how can we have the other around? John Ravecki, who is a cognitive scientist, speaks about mm. like the agent and the arena relationship. Mm. Um, and he talks about sort of in cognitive science, this, the Darwinian theory as one of the mm. first dynamical systems theories where evolution really requires growth development. Evolution mm. really requires mm. uh, the polarity of an enabling constraint and a selective constraint. And the like, um, he speaks about this as a virtual governor and a virtual generator. And I think these are things that technology can, can incorporate and like the virtual governor is like the selective constraint that reduces our options, that mm. blocks uh, blocks uh, our experience in a certain way. Mm. The virtual generator is something that uh, generates more possibility. And so a virtual governor is systematically together with a virtual generator is such that you're systematically regulating a feedback cycle and this whole system is now called a virtual engine. And, and it's a dynamical systems theory where the virtual engine is generating your growth and also blocking uh, your mm. experience. Mm. And that the constraint and the optimization or the opening, enabling, they're both mm. necessary. So mm. I, I keep thinking, how can that be perhaps like a social media experience? Mm. Um, that could be really interesting where as an individual, um, maybe there are sort of uh, AI algorithms that are able to assess where the user is coming from, encourage mm. 
and my my friend Roly was trying to he's he knows a lot about AI. I don't, but he was trying to explain to me about how we're like in this situation where in a like a machine learning, we're like nodes in a machine learning problem where the system comes up with a goal. Mm. And in, then it's going to like make you behave a certain way uh, to to sell you something or to yeah. get you to do something online, right? And it's going to keep observing your behavior and keep modifying the input until you you kind of do the behavior that it wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And the machine will find a way to like enrage you or like make you vote a certain mm-hmm. way or make you buy something and mm-hmm. keep you in the platform for a longer time. And looking at it through spiral dynamics, imagine if, so these algorithms are already there, right? They know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so if we can shift the way that that behavior uh, is, is like changed, it, you can use those same algorithms to imagine if you're, if the AI program is able to detect that you're coming from an orange perspective constantly, what if it is able to like gently interject or inject that sense of the virtual governor, the, the, the sort of the selective constraints that are actually providing you a little bit of like baby perspectives from green. Mm. So just not constantly in orange. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that these are ways in which technology can be used in a really good way if there are ethical people. And that brings us to like you know, <laughs> a whole new topic, yeah. <laughs> development, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like imagine if every engineer at Google and Facebook and Twitter and you know if they if like Elon Musk can be taught spiral dynamics <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah which actually brings me to my last question so I mean you do this professionally as a as a coach and a facilitator um, <laughs> in, um, why should uh, companies care about this um, what's your um, elevator pitch <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I can't just speak mm-hmm. to you in the sense of how do I use it in coaching mm. and presentation yeah. and things like that? I think first of all, what it provides uh, is the it is compassion and kindness. Mm. Really, hopefully, it's like once you see the differentiation, then you can see that even you once you see the different puzzle pieces, then it helps us to create a map of how we can begin the integration. Mm. And I think one of the most uh, valuable things is that no one is wrong. That idea that no one is 100% wrong. This is something that I learned from Ken Wilber, um, which really allows for us to really see how can we um, emphasize the the goodness of each stage and help integrate the sort of the stuck parts of each stage. Mm -hmm. And um, organizations can begin to have policies that create a win-win-win for mm. each of the major stages. So imagine if like like climate change, for example, mm. the, the conversation of climate. In how can we create, and by the way, there is the Institute for Cultural Evolution. It's mm. a it's an organization that's based out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, they're really writing policy documents that create this win-win-win solution. 
for how technology is used or how topics like immigration or abortion or you know, the hot topic polarizing issues. Mm. The way to really try and create more conversation between these polarized stages is to see how can, how can coming from a yellow stage, we create a win for red. So your sense mm. of self-awareness and your sense of um, uh, investment in yourself mm. can be enhanced in a good way. Mm. For blue, how can we create a win for your traditional belief system? Mm. So that you don't have to be threatened by science or threatened by this kind of war. Yeah, or yeah. For Orange, how can we create an economical success for you? And the science, you know, give room for technological scientific advancement. Uh, for green, how can we create a win for you where you have, um, you know, where you get to really, really see the value of sensitivity to the deep struggles of this world. Um, so that, that you know, we usually say, use the words, how can we create a win-win, like a win for me and a win for you. So in the spiral dynamics and the stage theory world, we say, how can we create a win-win-win, especially yeah. on the topic of polarization, create a win for blue, traditional worldviews, create a win for orange, mm. the scientific, rational, technological view. Create a win for green, the postmodern, sensitive, pluralistic, relativist mm -hmm. view. Um, so you can you begin to really see the value of each of those stages um, as organizations if we know about these kinds of stage theories. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, like I think mm -hmm. yeah, helping people be where they're at to be able to actually see you're not wrong for being where you're at. A seven-year-old is not wrong for being a seven-year-old. Mm. Like a seven-year-old doesn't have to start behaving like a 12-year-old. Yeah, no. You're beautiful just as you are. And then, but there can be underlying systems um, that are working to make the stage that you're at healthier. Mm. Yeah. Thank you very much for for joining. It's been a great conversation. I think, um, yeah, I really like it. It's um, it's a humble no, way in approaching and visualizing and just yeah, getting more understanding with one another. The win-win-win yeah. sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's all about sort of how we use and misuse these tools. So I would definitely say don't go by the, you know, the little bits and pieces of what I said today. If someone's interested, definitely pick up, you know, a Spiral Dynamics book, take a course. Um, uh, you should never yeah. stereotype, right? It's, um, it's, yeah. uh, it's just, another, just another lens, right? Um, but you can put another lens. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you so much, Thank Maria, you. for having me your amazing podcast and i wish you all the best as you talk about these important topics and i think like technology really needs people like you you know thank really. you <laughs> thank you for saying that <laughs> you yeah. are willing to really explore topics like human development and how it could impact and uh, you know, really make better the world of technology that is to some degree kind of scary and uncontrolled and mm. uh, and leaders like you in the world of technology will be what makes a difference, I think, to help us move up the spiral. Yeah, so, so thank you. Kind words, thank you. 
that's it for today. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And if you want to read up more about the guest, then you can go to the show notes to get all of the links. And also, if you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter to never miss the latest episode. Thank you for today. See you in the next episode. previous episodes, we have covered the topic of regenerative living. Now, whilst sustainability typically focuses on sustaining Mother Earth, regenerative living, on the other hand, goes one step beyond that and focusing on restoring it. So across the globe right now, some enthusiasts and change makers are building so-called smart villages or eco-villages based on these regenerative principles that, in fact, restore our planet. OASA is a non-profit, and they focus on innovating and building these smarter villages at scale. They're currently building a regenerative farm outside of Lisbon called the Traditional Dream Factory. And in order to fuel investments and to enable governance at scale, they have actually launched Europe's first land-based conservation token. Now, this project is groundbreaking as this is the first time in Europe that a regenerative village has issued a token that has legal status and giving the token holders access to real-world assets compared to if you would own a virtual asset in the digital world. Now, with this launch, OASA they hope to lead the way and to inspire more enthusiasts to take action and to join them on the quest to restore Mother Earth through generative living. Now let's get to it and welcome Samuel Delesk to the show. Welcome back to the show. In some of our previous episodes, we have covered the topic of regenerative living. Now, whilst sustainability, as we typically know it, focuses on sustaining our Mother Earth. Regenerative living, on the other hand, goes one step beyond that and focuses on restoring it. Now, across the world, uh, enthusiasts and change makers are building these so-called smart villages or eco-villages, if you want to call them that, based on these regenerative principles that, in fact, restore our planet. OASA is a nonprofit that focuses on innovating and building these smart villages at scale. And they are now currently building a regenerative farm outside of Lisbon called Traditional Dream Factory. And now, in order to fuel investments and to enable governance at scale, they have just launched Europe's first land-based conservation token. And we will get back to that in the show, what this means. And this project is groundbreaking as this is in fact the first time in Europe that 
uh, regenerative village has issued a token that has legal status giving the token holder access to real world assets compared to if you would own a virtual asset in the digital world. Now with this launch, OASA hope to lead the way and to inspire more enthusiasts to take action and join them on the quest to, in fact, restore Mother Earth through regenerative living. So let's get to it and let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Now, in some of our previous episodes, we have covered the topic of regenerative living. Now, what this means is that while sustainability, as we know it typically, focuses on sustaining Mother Earth, regenerative living, on the other hand, goes one step beyond that and focuses on restoring it. So across the globe right now, some change makers and enthusiasts are building what we call so-called smart villages or eco-villages that are based on these regenerative principles that in fact restore our planet. OASA is a non-profit and they focus on innovating and building these smart villages at scale. And what they're currently doing is that they are building a regenerative farm outside of Lisbon, which is called Traditional Dream Factory. And what they're doing now in order to fuel investments in the space and to enable governance at scale, they have in fact launched Europe's first land-based conservation token. And what this means is we will get back to this later in the show. And uh, this project is groundbreaking in its kind because this is in fact the first time in Europe that a regenerative village has issued a token that has legal status which means it, it is giving the token holder access to real-world assets compared to if you would own a virtual asset in the digital world. So with this launch, OASA hope to lead the way and to inspire more enthusiasts to actually take action and join them on the quest to restore our Mother Earth through regenerative living. So let's get to it and let's get started. <laughs> 